0: Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm Alan, and with me is Chris, as always.
2: Hello, everyone.
1: How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing really well. Good, good. We're here in the throes of the holiday season. We're getting close to the end of 2013. We've got a really fun episode today because we're really going to focus in on two... I'm sorry, did I say 2013? Yeah. Man, I went through a, you know, that was intentional because the first review we're doing is the film Interstellar where they go through wormholes and there's time displacement. I was trying to keep you on your toes by saying 2013. I really meant 2014. I need to come back out of the wormhole I've been sitting in, I guess, recently here. (laughs) Well, we are going to talk about two films. Two reviews that we're going to get really deep into in discussion. Uh, and we have a special guest with us to help us with those discussions. Abigail, how you doing, Abigail?
3: Hello, I'm good.
1: Good to have you here with us. And we're looking forward to discussing two movies that we've got a lot to discuss, Interstellar and then Birdman. Uh, so two... I think we're going to have an interesting conversation on both of these, (laughs) some different opinions around the table. Uh, We are going to kind of move through some other news if we have time, but then we're really going to wrap up the episode with our online recommendation of the month, a film we think you ought to check out online through iTunes, Amazon, Netflix, whatever it may be available through. Uh, This is going to be probably our next to last episode. I think we are going to try to squeeze in one last episode before December 31st where we recap our favorite films of the year. So part of our discussions, I'm really going to be curious after today's episode, if either of these two films make it on any of ours best of year in list by the time we get to that episode. <laughs> so here we are in the mesh Just real quick to remind you that you're listening to this podcast network where we have a whole series of shows available to you that you can listen to for free at any time on the website, which is the mesh TV Or you can go to Apple iTunes and subscribe to any of the podcasts there as we are a featured provider on the iTunes podcast store. Uh, We always encourage any feedback and dialogue, so go online, give us some feedback through star ratings on iTunes, or you can post a comment on our website. Either way, we'd love to hear from you. And please go out and check out some of the other shows we have available on the network as well so with that out of the way let's go ahead and jump right into our first discussion which will be the latest uh, film starring matthew mcconaughey and directed by christopher nolan it is interstellar
0: this world's a treasure it's been telling us to leave for a while now your daughter's generation will be the last to survive on earth you're the best pilot we ever had get out there and save the world Everybody's ready to say goodbye to our solar system, to our galaxy. Here we go. We'll find a way that we always have.
1: Chris, as I pull up IMDB, and I guess Abigail too, I, I got to remember there's three of us around the table now. I'm not used to this. <laughs> As I pull up the IMDb description for Interstellar, it is about the shortest, most concise statement I could possibly see made about this film. A team of explorers travel through a wormhole in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival. That's it. Now, for a two-hour and 50-minute movie directed by Christopher Nolan, who's known for making some very deep movies, and I don't mean deep necessarily, always philosophical, but deep in terms of layers of things happening and characters and subplots and just a lot of stuff crammed into a movie for him to make a two hour and 50 minute movie as dense as he made most of his other films. And now he's tackling the sci-fi genre, which is the first time he's really done that with a character, a uh, Cooper played by Matthew McConaughey, that is kind of our, 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 our main through line character to follow throughout the, the show. We've got some other interesting actors, some that he's worked with in the past, like Anne Hathaway. Who is another fellow explorer on this travel? We've got Jessica, Ch- Jessica Chastain. I think it's the first time they've worked together. Playing Cooper's daughter, Murph, and we've got John Lithgow as as his father-in-law. I don't think it was his birth what? father, right? It was, his, or was his his actual father?
3: Wait, that was Michael, Was that Michael Caine? No, 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 no.
1: John what? John Lithgow was oh, the John, father. Oh, right, 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 Michael right, Caine right. played the uh, Anne Hathaway's father, who was really the lead scientist. <laughs> I know. That's the, but that's a testament yeah. to you. There's a lot of characters in this film. Sure. It's a long film, and Christopher Nolan packs a lot into the film. Chris, I got to ask you the first question though. You are a big sci-fi fan. Yes. You thought Prometheus was one of the best films of the last couple of years. I True. Did. Yes. True statement. Absolutely. And there's a lot that can be said. That there's some similarities. You got a band of explorers going on a, a big journey and a lot of unknowns out in outer space. So I'm really curious to hear, how did Interstellar work for you in terms of Christopher Nolan's other films? Because you were also a fan of his Batman films and some of his other work as well. Where does it fit in his oeuvre of, of films at this point?
2: Well it's definitely not at the top.
1: Right um, <laughs> off the bat, we're just saying yeah, not at the top.
2: Definitely not at the top. I'd have to go back and look over his filmography. I'm a big I'm a big fan. Probably, probably Inception would be up at the top. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. At the bottom would be, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and really look. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Inception's at the bottom, but maybe it is. Um,
1: <laughs> Inception or?
2: I'm sorry, not Inception. Um, the both th- eyes. Yeah, that's it's like the polar opposite. There's in, Inception and there's Interstellar. Right. So at one end of the scale we have Inception.
1: Wow, so you're I saying really this like. is near the bottom end of his, his filmography, in your opinion.
2: I mean, yeah, not to say he's a bad filmmaker, and not to say this is a bad film, but how do I feel about it personally? Mm-hmm. Um, I have pretty high expectations, and I think I have responded to all of his previous work much stronger than I responded to this work. Hmm. Um yeah, I uh I wasn't a really big fan. I was it's a pretty big disappointment for me.
1: Well, I wanna hear dig into the reasons, but let's go around the table, let's kinda of get our initial impressions out of the way, huh? then let's kinda of dig into some of the reasons why we feel the way we do. Abigail, uh you and I have not spoken about this film, so I'm curious your thoughts on it. Did it work for you or did you have some uh some reservations or disappointments like Mr. Fry did?
3: I think like just like there are so many layers in that movie, I think I experienced it in a few layers. Like, I, at first, I re- it blew my mind. At first, I was like, oh my God, Ma- I was watching it with my mom, and I looked at her and I was like, wow, that was just <laughs> something else. And she looks at me and she goes, yeah, something else, all right. <laughs> she wasn't really as big into it. But I think after I thought, I think maybe the next day, I thought about it some more, and I, I don't know. Like, more negative thoughts, I guess, came afterwards. Once I thought about it a little bit
1: more, so it's dwelling on it a little bit more is maybe causing you to be a little more yeah. hesitant. At first about glance,
3: it. I just thought it blew my mind, and that was that. And mm-hmm. it was full
2: disclosure. Abigail and I actually worked together, so mm-hmm. I see her passing in the hall, and I knew she'd seen Interstellar. So we actually kind of talked about it briefly right afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I was generally, I was a little bit more pos- or I was a little bit more negative. And she was a little bit more positive. Then a couple of days passed and I happened to mention, Hey, do you wanna come on the podcast and talk about it? And she's like, Yeah. I'm much more negative about it now, and I'm like, "That's funny." I'm hmm. a little bit more positive about it now. Well, so right. kind of sat on it. So now I'm curious, Alan. You've heard both of our opinions. Mm-hmm. How do you How do you fall on?
1: it? Well, oh, I, I love the movie. I <laughs> wow. thought it was great. Okay. Yeah, awesome. I thought it was great. <laughs> now, granted, I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan's in general, so I'm not going to say it's the best film he's ever done because sure. I still the Prestige is still my favorite of his. Okay, yeah. um, I do like Inception. I did like Batman Begins, not as big a fan of the other two Batmans. I thought they were good, but not great. Mm. Um, Batman Begins was still, to me, the perfect superhero origin movie. Um, so I'm a I'm, I'm big fan of half of his filmography, I'd say, at this point. The other half, I'm okay with. I don't hate any of his films. Insomnia? Um, Insomnia was fine. Okay. I didn't dislike it. It's just it didn't, it's not one I, I think of when I think of his, his list of films. Right. But all of his films have been good. Um, some of them have been great. Sure, yeah. this one is closer on the great end for me. Hmm. Um, I it worked for me. Now, granted, I do understand from you guys' standpoint. The more you think about it afterwards, it is easy to change your opinion somewhat because there are a couple things that, unfortunately, after I formed my own opinion and I've read some analysis online, a couple holes have been pointed out to me. They're like, "Ooh, wow, okay, that does." hamper my enjoyment a little bit right. but i'm not going to let it affect my review because again i wanted to kind of feel let you know how i felt walking out of the theater walking out of the theater i was extremely high and positive on this film and i, I still am I,
2: I wish i could have had that experience
1: well let's
3: talk about well, the reasons why we feel that i was kind of like that too
2: and see right and originally and then i came in and she knows uh, as well as you do alan because you guys talk to me all the time that i'm a big science fiction person yeah. So, you know, she was expecting me to kind of, I think, be a little bit more high on it. And I was like, no, just didn't.
1: Well, let's talk about some of the reasons. Let's talk to the positives first. Okay, let's go ahead and hit the things that you did like about the film that you think worked really well. And I guess let's start a little bit with some of the, the key performers here that we've got as well. We've got Matthew McConaughey in the key role. Anne Hathaway is kind of the next, I guess, most important supporting role on that mm-hmm. end. Talk to me about their performances here. What would you guys think of? Uh, what you think of Mr. McConaughey?
2: Um, I guess the cool thing to say on the internet or at least on Twitter would be meh, which is the <laughs> <N-E-H>. M-E-H.
1: Um, <laughs> he just didn't really do a whole lot for you on that.
2: No, but I don't, I don't put it solely on him. Yeah. I don't think it's his fault. Not that he did a bad job, but I, you know, he was just a, a delivery device for your yeah. lines.
1: So. I, I'm, I'm kind of feeling, I mean, I thought he did a fine job. But it's nothing I think that was a extraordinary performance or anything that I single out on the film. I think he did the serviceable role that we needed. Could somebody else in a role that role have really escalated it? Sure. Absolutely. There's a lot of people that could have done a really excellent job with this. He was fine. I kinda of with you on that. He was fine. He didn't distract me from the film, but he didn't elevate it either. He just was a good role. What do you think, Abigail?
3: Um a little neutral, yeah. Hmm. But I didn't really expect I expected a lot from the movie going in, but I didn't really expect a whole lot from him. So I think
1: going in with low expectations, yeah, you felt yeah. Pretty yeah. Good so about good. I
3: think I ended up enjoying his performance just because I uh,
1: he did pretty much still continue his Chrysler commercial uh, uh, his, feel, right? I mean, which it I really saw a
3: lot of those prior to seeing this
2: movie. I'm like, that is really weird. Like these yeah. and yeah,
1: he his his verbal good. style now is very he's kind of crafted his style and unfortunately it's become a little bit more of a joke on himself than Mm -hmm. anything. Um, you know, again, I think we're all in agreement that he, this wasn't a role or character or actor that really elevated the film in any way. Mm -hmm. It was mainly just played the role that needed to be played. Now we have Anne Hathaway as his fellow scientist, uh, the daughter of the Michael Caine character. Um, and I'll be the first to say there, I'm not a huge fan of Anne Hathaway. I don't See her doing a whole lot. Rachel getting married was the only film I can mm-hmm. think of where I thought she was really good. Mm-hmm. I really liked watching her in that. Here, I think she was. I kind of see it the same way I saw McConaughey. it's Just anybody could have played that role. I thought that was a pretty straightforward role for me. I don't think she hurt it, but I don't think she elevated it either. She just kind of kept things moving as well. So,
2: well, and to keep to keep in through line with positive the film. It wasn't, I'm kind of with Abigail. it wasn't a positive, it wasn't a negative, but when I go to see a science fiction type movie, I'm not looking for Oscar nominated performances. So that's not, that is not a negative. That's just, it's not a positive. It's just kind of like, okay, it's there.
1: You know, know, if you look at this film, I don't think the acting was, there was nothing extraordinary in any of the acting performances. They were all very serviceable standard roles. Michael Caine was playing Michael Caine. (laughs) Uh Matthew a McConaughey. A
2: weepy <laughs> yeah, stuff, Matthew
1: McConaughey was playing Matthew McConaughey. I mean, everybody kind of just played their role. There was no acting showcases, I don't think, anywhere. And you're right, in a film like this, I don't think there needed to be. I don't think that was the point. I don't think Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan was interested in seeing how he could push actors to put out the best performance they were did. He was definitely more interested in the story and the visuals and the tone of the film than he was the acting, I think. Well,
2: and if we're gonna, you know, stick on the positives here, which I'm curious to hear, you know, you're apparently more positive in this film than Abigail and I, but yet sure. I don't hear you like pushing out the virtues yet. But oh, I'll, well. I'll jump to one that I think,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, I think is definitely a positive, the visuals of the film, mm-hmm. the cinematography, um, the effects that they use for space. And they tried to do a lot of it, like practically, I think, as opposed to doing a lot of stuff digitally, maybe. Right. And I, I, all of that, I very much, appreciated. I thought that looked really good. It's, you know, if you're interested in this film, you know, seeing it in the big on the big screen is probably the place to do it because it is very visual and grand. So that's a strength.
1: Yeah. And I agree with, I I think the visuals were definitely a strength. I think it looked really cool. I hate the comparisons. Anybody tries to make to like, 2001 or not oh, that. Cause it's yeah. not, it's Don't even make those comparisons. Cause that's unfair to anybody on all film levels to do. <laughs> but I thought the visuals were really strong. Uh, I did not don't go compare in compare
3: Anything. Don't compare anything to compare anything. To well, anything. I yeah. mean,
1: You
2: can't, you know, yeah. Well, I, anytime I, you I, say,
1: you know, well, this is Christopher Nolan's 2001. I think that's, that's the kiss mistake. of death. You it just, is. you cannot do that for any and film. Especially
2: that way for me. And I think that's one of my problems with the film is that I am, that is one of my favorite movies. Sure. 2001 Kubrick. And so, I went into this movie because I do admire Nolan. Unfortunately, I'd heard people talking about it, and they were kicking two thousand one around, you know, kind of referencing it. It's just it. dumb. Don't and do so that. And so, automatically, I can't get it out of my brain, and I go in thinking that, and that's a disservice. It's unfair. It's it really is.
1: I don't like the, those comparison points being made. I, but let me let me the tell visual, you visually, Abigail, how are, how do you fall on
2: it? Oh, you great. Think okay, I think so.
3: visually, I think it kind of grabs you emotionally too. It adds to the experience. The sound and the visuals, I think, kind of had me on the edge of my seat the whole time. Well,
1: and Nolan's always had a good eye for that. I mean, his films always look good. They're sharp looking. Um,
2: And he's a big proponent of film as well as opposed to uh, Mm -hmm. digital stuff. And I think that
1: makes a difference as well. I thought visuals, tone, style were all really strong. And I really uh, responded well to those within the film. Uh, if you want to get into some other things, I thought were positive. I mean, I guess story is probably where we're going to start to have some arguments here, if I had to guess. Right? Because I'm assuming story, Chris, is probably one of the things that just didn't work for you. Because if the acting's kind of meh, the visuals were great. What's left is we've got story and plot and. The, the way the the story rolled out, and I assume that's yeah. probably your yeah, issue that's, with that's it.
2: that's probably yeah. I, you know, other than the visuals, I can't really think of a positive, and okay. so that's why I was wanting you to hit on some because it's basically going well, down the negative road. We go down.
1: What <laughs> are other po- outside? Do you have any other? Positives? I thought I thought this film hit the right emotional moments. Yeah. Correctly, I think we're talking about a very sprawling saga where time and distance and family connections were so critical. And I thought the emotional beats that were hit on those moments were were right on target. They got me emotional as well. And, I mean, I can even just point out one scene that still just tear, you know tears me up right now to think about. You know, and, again, we're going to not spoil anything quite yet. We may get to some spoilers about the end here in a few minutes. But there's a moment where they're on a distant planet and they realize that time moves so much quicker on that planet than it is or, – or it moves – so much slower and back on earth time has actually gone by quickly. So like what, one hour on a, this water planet was seven years years. of time back on earth.
3: Instant, like we just lost that. Right.
1: It's like we were there for seven
3: years older. Yeah.
1: We were there for three hours. So we just lost 20 some years of our, our kids life.
3: And that,
1: that was, that was a, to me, a gut wrenching scene to be basically, they have a way of getting video messages from their family. So of course, when he gets back on the ship, there's 20 years worth of video messages basically bottled up for him to watch at one time. And to go through this motion of watching one after another of seeing your son grow in front of your eyes, it's just devastating. I think scenes like that were handled really well. We'll get to the end in a little bit, which I also thought was handled fairly well, maybe not as well as the middle was, but, but it was still done. Okay. And Christopher Nolan, I think from a storyteller standpoint, he's very intent on having everything, connected and work itself around and drive the plot the right way. Mm. There can definitely be some hangups with the way that the ending portion of the film played itself out, but it worked for me. If I think about it too hard, yes, it does start to unravel a little bit, but overall in the experience of watching it, I thought it worked for me really well.
2: I think for me, you're right. It all falls down and not direction. Cause I think he's a fun director. It just, it comes down to story and, from the very opening scenes uh, there's stuff that takes place in the little girl's bedroom yeah, and uh, some things that have repercussions later in the film. And I felt like I knew where it was going at that point. Mm-hmm. And oh. sure enough, I was right. So it's kind of yeah. like if you go to see the usual suspects and you already know the end of the movie or you go to see the crying game, you are like, you know, it's one of the, or it's the sixth sense. Mm-hmm. And, I felt like that was a pretty pretty big underpinning, and I was surprised it was so obvious. Or to me, it was so obvious, like what was going to happen. Yeah. That I think the big problem with me is then I was bored for two hours and fifteen wow. minutes because okay. that's pretty. That's pretty early on. Oh, wow. It's
3: pretty early on. All. When
2: <laughs> I knew pretty early on, like. Or well, maybe you
3: know, is that because you watch so many sci-fi? Could be.
2: Could be. So it's my own yeah. fault, in a sense. I had it's no idea where the story was but going. But Christopher Nolan, I expect more from that because, you know, he's, he's smarter than me. I know he's smarter ah. than me. So, like, I just expected the story to be more complex, like the prestige and how complex that was based on a book. But still, and... Good
1: Lord, I don't know thing. if I need more complex. The, other
2: thing, <laughs> <than> the
1: <prestige laughs> No, no, no. I'm saying more complex than this movie. I thought oh, the movie was very nice man. and complex.
2: ABC Mickey Mouse stuff, I oh. Like. Oh, okay. um, And then what <laughs> so, was it? ABC, I'm just going to go
1: watch Mouse. Dumb and Dumber 2 again. What was <laughs>
2: ABC Mickey Mouse? <laughs> they explained it so much that it was boring. It was like... Okay, you, well, you that's over-explain I stuff.
3: think the story... I, in my opinion, I don't think... I think the story's fine, but I think there could have been so much taken off of the script to where the audience could have just... Gotten the information and then we weren't at the end kind of like
2: I think if there'd been less information, maybe I wouldn't have figured out as much as I did.
3: Right. And I feel like yeah. they were trying to explain all these little scientific Absolutely. things. Absolutely. And I really don't think that we needed to hear it's like, any of that. It's
2: like this movie was a clock and what they did is ripped off the back and let you look at all the gears Check working. This and it's out. like, oh this okay. I get it. This is, it. This is how it's gonna good. work and this is how and I also wow. say as far as the emotional resonance, because there again maybe it's my fault. But I figured out what the punches were going to be. And so then it was just like oh. a scab slowly peeling off over two hours and 50 minutes. And it was like, you're just, and by the
1: end, you were just too just, smart for this movie. By out. the <laughs> end,
2: I was just like, oh yeah, this is, is just not, it means nothing to me because of how they, it was just, I, I foresaw it, you know? Huh.
1: Wow. So, well, I think that. I, I'm, I'm, mm, okay, go, on, go ahead. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. I guess I don't. I, maybe I'm just not smart enough for this film. I kind of yeah. I, I needed it kind of spoon fed a little bit more to me because the concepts were pretty high high concepts by the end, well, and I kind of needed you know uh, uh, McConaughey and, and Hathaway every once in a while to stop and say, okay, this is what's going on. I'm like, okay, good, thank you, I, I, <laughs> so, I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> now I will say, I've I've thought of a positive. Okay. I can come back with a positive. The thing that you've mentioned about um, how time goes differently in different places. You know, it passes mm-hmm. 10 years on earth right. mm-hmm. down on the water planet. It's like three hours up in orbit. However, it was time spent too. There's a guy waiting for them yeah. back on the ship right. and stuff happens. And he's just like, what is good So it affected earth really. Let's say it's like 20 years on earth up in orbit. It's like seven down on earth. It's only three hours down mm. on the water planets only three hours. they, Hitting the science of that and kind of explain that a little bit that actually did work for me. And I thought mm. that was cool that they tried yeah, to keep kind of it thing. real and that, that kind of thing was okay. It was some of the other, there was a
3: certain point where it got overly,
2: overly explaining. And you know, wow. I've never, and that is a criticism that's leveled against Nolan. Mm-hmm. I've never felt it in any of his other movies. Mm -hmm. Um, even ones that were more complex, like prestige, I feel like, Mm -hmm. and that's the weakness of this movie is it comes down to, yeah, the story script dialogue. Interesting.
1: I mean, I I could totally see where you could come from on that. I just, I just didn't have that experience at all. I, uh, my big, as we're kind of dipping into the negatives now, I do have a couple of negatives. that didn't prevent me from enjoying the film. Just a couple of things I wish were better. Hmm. Um, There was a lot of criticism leveled online about the sound quality of the voice. And I do think that was a problem in some cases. Really? I had two scenes in particular that I really hate the fact that I could not figure out what they were talking about. And it took later on to understand after the, when they're on the water planet and the big tidal wave is just kind of hit and you know, everything kind of goes to hell for a little bit and then it settles back and you've got McConaughey and Hathaway talking Mm -hmm. and it's a very heightened emotional conversation about decisions that were made to come to this planet and at that point I I assume that's when you learn that she has some connection emotional connection with one of the other scientists on the other planet and they need to go there instead Mm. but I could not make out any of that conversation I don't know if it was the projection system I was in Uh a theater but that whole screaming match between the two of them after the hot tidal wave hit I couldn't make out so the next couple conversations they had I was trying to fill in pieces of what I missed in that first conversation. Hmm. So that is more of a technical issue for me. I think, and I'm not the only one, because I do think other people online have said they've had issues with hearing the dialogue really clearly. Hmm. Um, So from a technical standpoint, that was an issue. My only other issue with it from a story standpoint, and unfortunately this would have made the film longer. So I don't really know if I would have been in favor of lengthening the film to do it. But I thought the moment of McConaughey getting connected with the NASA scientists early in the film To him being up in space was way too quick. Very rushed. Very rushed. And I think that did hurt some of the emotional connection of the film because we didn't have as much time with him leaving his family. His leaving his family was like basically he met with NASA and then the very next day it's like, okay, I'm gone. See ya. That I think hurt the film a little bit. I think you could have really gotten those emotional beats even more pronounced later on in the film if that had happened. I'm going to throw something out.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, another movie that I think you've recommended in the past
1: on this podcast
2: as a you know something for people to check in on um, also stars Matthew McConaughey. Also a science fiction. I'm pretty sure you've mentioned it. Contact. Contact. Yeah. Hmm. I think going into this movie, Abigail, have you seen Contact? I have not seen oh, Contact. Highly recommend that movie. Okay. Um, big fan of that. Um, and. I think that was another reason I was looking forward to this movie because McConaughey had a role in that, mm-hmm. not as big as he does in this one, but he, but he had a role. Yeah. And so, um, I think that helped heighten expectations mm-hmm. for this. It film. May have. And the way that film blended some science, some sci-fi science fiction, yeah. the way it blended that I wish, but kept your interest level high. Something about the mm-hmm. story and the pacing I wish this film could have taken it. So I'm not going to compare it to 2001 because I think that's unfair. Mm-hmm. But comparing it to something like Contact, I think, is a more base level. Thing. You know,
1: I was actually going to say Contact earlier on when we were talking about the 2001. To me, Contact is a much more apt comparison. Okay. I like Contact equally. I love that film. Hmm. I probably love it a little bit. I love it more than I loved Interstellar. Okay. But I thought Interstellar was close hmm. in my book. Um, but I do think it's a much more apt comparison because we're not comparing it against some seminal masterpiece. I mean, Contact is not considered, you know, (laughs) one of the top films ever made, you know, Sound and Vision, Top List or whatever, but it is a really, really good solid film, and I think it deals with a lot of the same concepts of let's get very technical about what we're trying to do. We have a certain uh, thing we're trying to accomplish here, and then you get to the end, and it's a lot more heady, a lot more conceptual right. sci-fi just like interstellar is too so i've come yeah. up with another
2: positive okay good i liked tars the robot all
1: right the robot design was <laughs> yeah. awesome was it not yeah. it was yeah, cool, was cool. It basically you yeah. had like a giant slate which i do think hurt a little bit the 2001 comparisons i think a lot of people see this giant obelisk looking right. slate robot and say oh yeah that's, oh, that's nolan uh, trying to be 2001 yeah. huh i think that hurt the online feedback for the film a little bit too, okay. but it is like a giant slate that just happens to be able to break into three segments and move along itself. It was a wild concept for a robot, and I loved it. I thought it, it was something good
2: too. That like yeah. I like taking the idea of a robot and completely changing it. Yeah, like it doesn't have a face. Has a screen on it, but it doesn't have a face. Yeah. It doesn't have sensor. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, it's like a block. But then yet the block can move. So just giving us something. I really admired that visually. And you know they, I'm assuming they carried it off do a combination of like, effect, like digital effects, but also having some practical.
1: I think models. there had to have been some practical parts to it. So like, like close up when they were inside the ship, I guarantee you that was mostly practical stuff. It
2: just, to me, that, that was awesome. I yeah, really liked good. that part.
1: So other concerns, it sounds like the biggest issues we've got with it are, you know, Chris just think it was a lot of over explaining is what you guys are kind of concerned about um, where it really could have been a tighter film if it didn't feel the need to explain so much. Now, I guess we should get into the spoiler. I'm kind of keeping an eye on our time because I know okay. we got another film that we got to get into pretty deep as well. Sure. Um, but let's, for you listeners out there, if you have not seen the film and you don't want to be spoiled, now would be a good time to skip ahead. I'd tell you skip ahead maybe the next five minutes or so. Fair enough. And we're just going to talk a little bit about some of the ending and the spoilers and some of the more details of how the, the film wrapped up. So here's your, your warning, skip ahead moment. <laughs> that should be enough time. Thank you for complying with that. So we get to the end of the film, guys. And like I mentioned before, Nolan does this thing where it it it, it literally loops back in itself. I mean, and Chris so, is shaking well, his head already. So already we're off yeah, to now, now negative on that. Territory, so, Go for so, it. Territory. So I can just say it.
2: Yeah. The bookcase. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's in the girls and there's like some type of communication going on. Yes. So we, you know, as a viewer, I was like, okay, it's either an alien or... Because, you know, the father is going to have to leave and, you know, so I was like, yeah, it's probably, it's it's probably the dad. I don't know how or why, but it's probably the dad. I never got that. And yeah, yeah, sure enough, that's what it was. And so then their emotional resonance about him not coming back and him not like all the dark, like it just, it was so telegraphed to me. that I I never got
1: that. Never got
2: it. And then I don't really understand the, you know, for a film that explains so much, it was like he knocks the dust off the bookcase or whatever. And she somehow figures something out. And then the next thing we know, he's in a space. It's been a while since I've seen the movie because it has been out for a while. Mm -hmm. Next thing we know, he's in a space station Mm -hmm. and it's like years in the future and his older daughters, they're almost about
1: to die. So basically the idea with the ending again, if you're not caring about being spoiled or you've already seen the film, you know what he, he, he's able to go into
2: a wormhole, a
1: wormhole construct, which was actually built by people. Okay, The people in the future have built this as a mechanism to allow this looping to to take place. And as he finds himself in there, he's realizing he's basically inside every instance of reality and time in the bookcase. So the bookcase is this kind of it's focal just point. just her room. Just her room okay. and there's just, just this room. book. Now granted, that's not to say there aren't millions and billions of other places and spots he could have gone to, but he's obviously back in her bedroom. He's able behind the bookcase to see everything that's gone on every moment of time that's transpired in there. And this is a construct that we understand was built by humans in the future to aid with this situation. So it is a continuous loop. If you think about it too hard, you don't but know all, where it starts. But all
2: he does is give her the coordinates to the NASA place. Right? He
1: gives her the coordinates to the NASA place because he knows he has to get himself But then that
2: that doesn't end up solving any of the problems of the – I have not read any of the criticisms from people saying, well, the science not holding up, that doesn't bother me. But like if he would have provided the coordinates, but then that does nothing but get him to the place he is right now. Well, because at that
1: point when he sent her the coordinates, that's what he thought he was supposed to do, okay? He was – that was one instance of him in that wormhole sending that one message to her because at that moment when he's doing that, he's thinking, I've got to make sure I get – to the NASA place. That's why they found NASA so conveniently and it just so happened right at the time where they needed a, a pilot and right, he's ready right, to go. Okay. It kind of tied back in, in what was a complaint from me earlier in the film, which I thought was way too contrived that he just happened to find NASA with his coordinates and they just so happened to need a pilot right at that moment and it was just fell into perfect view. I, obviously now I see, nope, that was intentional. Like he was making sure he got himself there. However, in how another it- instance – He realized, whoa, this is actually a bad move. Actually, I probably shouldn't have gone. And so now he's trying to send the message of stay to himself, trying to get it to himself to get him to stay. And it never quite connected with him. So these are multiple instances of himself at different times trying to send different messages back to himself and his daughter.
2: How does it get from the point where the daughter is fed up with her father and hates the world to the point where she's on the space station now? How do we get from those two? How do we?
1: Well, basically, she when saved? she comes back to the house as an adult. Okay. And she realizes that, you know, Michael Caine's basically told her that everything was kind of uh, a, a, a fake. A you know, he doesn't really have a plan, which
2: I wasn't expecting that to happen. I yep. will say that right. was kind
1: of, he's like, of you know, that. I knew that they were going to go and it was going to be basically a, kind of a suicide mission type of thing, but we've got to do it. You know, we've got, or no, they're not going to be able to come back, but they'll start, they'll start a, new, start a new, they're going to start a like new, a new society. Choice a a choice choice he knows a that earth is dead. Right. Earth is gone. When Jessica Chastain, the grown daughter, realizes that for whatever reason, and she's drawn back to the house because she just felt like she needs some closure there. But as she's there and she starts to get some of the signals being sent to her still by her father, that's when she's able to realize that there's, there's a, there's a loop going on. There's something where her father is communicating to her Mm -hmm. when she gets all this data sent to her through the watch and other things. That is her key to figuring out how to get connected back with him or how to get Earth saved. Basically, he's passing along the coordinates of whatever he's realizing through the wormhole, which, again, is not important for us to know exactly no, how that that's works.
2: The, okay, I'd forgotten that part, that she not only gets the message of the NASA coordinates, but she gets another communication no. when she goes back to the house. That's and right. That's,
1: right. What, saves that's what saves Earth. That's what saves Earth. So then Earth is able that. to, okay. and I wasn't quite clear, and again, I don't really care, this <laughs> new version no. of Earth that we come back to, that McConaughey has rescued, Right. Now, granted, in, in times speak, many, many, many more years have gone by while he's just kind of out there in space in this wormhole and floating right. or whatever. Right, right, right. He may only be, feel like he's out there for a few hours. It was really decades. Right. So when he gets rescued, because of the efforts of his daughter having sent him all this message data, then he comes back. I don't exactly know where Earth is now. I don't know if they've all moved to another planet or if now they've just moved to a different location, reality. But it's this curved, weird-looking world that he's in now. You know, again— I, that didn't matter it's to a me. Lot like
3: the world in Inception, right? Or Elysium? Elysium. Yeah. Oh,
1: I never saw Elysium, yeah, so. It looked a lot like that. I thought it had a lot of Inception where the whole folding on itself oh, yeah. in right. the virtual yeah, field. There's like
2: that, that
1: too. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so he's there, but of course now another like 70, 80 years has passed and his daughter's like See, 90 think my years old. I was
2: so numb by the time I got to the end of the movie. I knew it made sense and I didn't have the complaint that I just voiced about. How does she get from being grumpy daughter to saving humanity? And yeah. you're right. She has a second. Okay. She, she
1: goes to- back and when she starts right. realizing that there are things being sent to her messaging and she's... I think it's just all those years she's realized there's always been something in that bookcase trying to communicate to her. I think
3: she is grumpy daughter, but at the same time she is going back. <laughs> she's a scientist. She, she is doing right. the yeah. things that, yeah.
1: I still think she's very bitter with her father. Yeah. Okay. Even as an old woman, she's probably very bitter because the guy still left him, Right. you know, but at least as a scientist, she was able to do what she needed to do to help save mankind. Basically. Right. I also think that's part of the reason why when McConaughey comes back, And sees her at the end, you would think that it would be one of those things where the whole rest of the family would be like, oh my gosh, it's like, look at him, this is our great grandfather or whatever. But they're all kind of distant too. And I think Mm -hmm. that's still very intentional that he's still the guy that left. You know, he vanished when she was like eight or nine or whatever age she was. So that's why he left and felt like I don't really need to stay here on earth. My daughter's about to die. And it's kind of she like, kind of
3: tells him she like, like just,
1: it just it you should not see me die lady, yeah right so I, yeah I that's why it right. ought to work for me leave my life again <laughs> and just go ahead well you've already been gone for eighty some right. years why not and I'm about to be, die yeah Let me be with my family and she said the phrase you a father shouldn't see their child die right that's and right. I think that's what kind of what she was getting at so he was okay to leave at that point now uh, my only other issue my real big issue that came up afterwards did not impact me when I was watching it but it has hurt a little bit since then is realizing that. His choice at the end to go back and find Brand, the Anne Hathaway character, mm-hmm. who was on one of those planets that they explored that could have been habitable, and it turns out it is. She went to go see her boyfriend, scientist,
2: who's long dead by the time long she dead. gets there.
1: So when McConaughey says, "You yeah, know, right, I'm going to steal one of the ships and go out and see her," well, the time thing's not going to match up there either because by the time he gets back out to her, she's probably going to be dead, uh-huh. right?
2: I mean, maybe because I think time—that's—that's—and you know, there again, they kind of left it nebulous, but they explained it a little bit. Mm. Time on different planets and in different way like goes at different. Well, at speed.
3: this point, you wouldn't even know because they're in a totally different place than Earth. Right? Yeah, you, you have no where where
1: idea what the time so the differential is going
3: to yeah. be. He could
0: like,
1: get there, and she's. Yeah. you know, been dead for a hundred years. I mean, right. there's no or telling. Or it
3: could be, be, or it could be an yeah. hour
2: away. Like, yeah, I drive. Like,
1: so that does kind of poke a little bit of that good feeling at the end of like, they, they, these two scientists are going to go and start a new population somewhere else. It may or, uh, it may, or may not work. Who knows? Right. <laughs> um, but I don't know. It, it worked for me. I know there's a lot of, uh, you got to draw a lot of your own connection lines and assumptions on it, but it still worked. I liked it.
2: I, I, originally, I thought, how I was talking about with, abigail how i was really harsh on it and then i came back and i was a little more positive i think the reason that happened for me was my experience was basically it was ruined because i was bored Mm -hmm. but then i heard a lot of people tearing it down because they didn't feel like the science matched up or things didn't work logistically because like you know time travel they were just poking a lot of holes yeah and i didn't agree with any of the holes because i'm like oh it's a movie so i was like oh people shouldn't be so harsh on this movie it's not horrible you know Mm -hmm. it's not great but it's not horrible but now I'm kind of back, back down to where it's just okay. Didn't <laughs> so Chris, have
3: like a panel of scientists that kind of.
1: Well, supposedly even uh, talk, who's the guy that does uh, the who's,
3: Cosmos guy? Yeah, who's the Cosmos guy? Like, yeah, that's pretty. It worked. Neil, Neil deGrasse Tyson
1: yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, he like gave his he seal gave his seal of approval from a science standpoint. It holds up, supposedly. So that's kind of um, cool.
3: <laughs> that yeah, makes me like a little more.
1: Well, we've just spent about thirty minutes talking about Interstellar. <laughs> so uh, I think, in general, it sounds like. Chris was bored.
3: I was. Abigail
1: liked it, but then after thinking about it some more, was a little less positive on it.
3: I just thought that the filmmaker thought I was a little dumb at the end. That's okay. You
1: know
2: what it reminds me of? I'm going to say now, reminds me of in a way. I think you enjoyed the spectacle of it, and only after soaking it in did you realize, oh, yeah, they probably did talk too much. That's kind of like, believe it or not, people, the first time I saw (laughs) Titanic, I actually liked it. Hmm. And it was only after I sat and thought about it. I was like, like wow, that was actually kind of dumb. You know, but originally because I was like, how can you make a movie about a boat sinking? Everybody knows how it's going to end. How can you make this interesting? And I went and saw it and I was like, oh, it's Leonardo doing like a little storyline here. No, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, and I did, But then the more I thought about it and boy, when I saw it a second time, it fell flat. But the original spectacle of it, the fact that I was semi-entertained, like blew me away that I could actually be entertained by a Titanic right. movie. So it's. I feel like that's kind of what you're saying that like originally you're like, Oh yeah, cool. But then the more you let it soak in, you're like,
1: eh. that's the way I felt about star Wars episode one, the Phantom Menace. So, oh.
3: I will yeah, say, we won't,
1: get, we won't go back into that again. I will that's a whole nother conversation. About
3: Interstellar, that I do like the overall idea that he, I mean, I like the, hmm. the idea of in the end, it really just kind of, he just really just wanted to sort of be with, Someone that he loves, Mm -hmm. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So that's nice.
1: So in general, Abigail liked it just you know, maybe after it's thought about it, didn't like being talked down to or over talked the explanation. Yeah. She would have rather Nolan kind of let us figure it out and be smart people with it. Chris had it all figured out from or the first scene piece. and was bored the rest of the movie with it. <laughs> me, I loved it. Cause I guess I, my brain was not firing an all cylinder. So I kind of needed somebody <laughs> to spoon feed me the stuff and I was okay with that. So that is interstellar. It's still out, even though it has been out for quite a while, um, but doing some pretty good bank at the movie at the box office. So, um, I don't think it's going to be a Oscar contender on any level except for visual effects and other... It should be for visual yeah, effects. Yeah, but say. I don't think Best Picture, I don't think any acting at all. Yeah. I'll be honest in saying I, 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 there are better films out there right now, obviously, even I though I really like this one. There so. are
3: things about it that I will keep in my mind, and I'd still recommend it to somebody to go see if they want an entertaining... And
1: say you'd still you, recommend it.
2: If you're interested in it, see it in the big theater. Yeah. I think, you know, if yeah. that's possible for you. So.
1: <laughs> well, let's move on to our second review if we could. And this one, uh, probably will be another 30 minute discussion as well. As we have the latest film by Chris, you got to help me. <laughs> say the name. Alejandro Gonzalez. See, I can't do the rolling or anything else with that. <laughs> so I just sound really awkward when I say it. So by that guy that Chris just said, <laughs> latest film by him, which is Birdman.
0: We had it all. You were a movie star, remember? Who was this guy? He used to be Birdman. What? Now you're about to destroy what's left of your career. Oh! We should have done that reality show they offered us. Shut up. Oh, ah! You know I'm right. You're so naughty! Nice! Hey, what's up? Why don't you try to rest a little bit?
3: It, Dad, you're doing this because you're scared to death like the rest of us that you don't matter. And you know what? You're right. You don't. Baby, can you understand me now?
2: Birdman is the latest from Mr. r2 which we mentioned in the tease there. Uh he's made other movies such as 21 Grams and Amoris Paros and most recently was a beautiful starring um who's his name now? I'm blanking.
1: Javier Bardem. Here
2: we go. Yeah. Um So, most recently he did that, and then this year he gives us Birdman, which stars Michael Keaton. Why is that important? Well, the movie is about a washed-up actor who once played an iconic superhero, but he has to overcome his ego and some family troubles and mount a Broadway play in in an attempt to, like, reclaim his former glory as, like, a superstar or a big, important star, basically. So... Um, We just saw this movie this week, actually.
1: And I've seen it twice in the last 48 hours. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Abigail happened to be able to attend one of those screenings as well. So right off the bat, um, I'll say that uh, my feelings, I didn't like this film. And you guys did. Um, tell me why I'm wrong.
1: Oh, it, I'll <laughs> happily tell you why you're wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> I have no problem with that. No, I really did love this film. It's not perfect, and we'll get into some of the things I thought that, that maybe were a little bit of a misfire. But I, I like any movie that A, is doing something different, which this film was, I felt like. Hmm. Two, it's packed with energy. And I'm not saying energy has to be fast motion, it has to be action. I'm just saying energy, crackling energy. I love any film that can con- convey energy. This is a film where first off, from a technical standpoint, I loved it. This idea of it looking like it was one continuous shot. Now Chris is already shaking his head yeah. on that too. So we'll get to that in a minute. But I get to do positives first. Okay,
2: you're right. Okay. And you guys
1: better do them. Let me have my positive. No, I don't
2: know what you know. This podcast is all about. We don't try to tear people down. <laughs> yeah. We try to do positive. That's okay. I'm all for it. So I think we can't tear positives. each other down. On I one. only have I think one. Okay. So I want to be sure you guys cover as many right. as you can. Oh. Before you, so. I thought
1: the I thought the uh, the 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 shot technique of it looking like one continuous take worked for me. I know there were some complaints at our screening that it was uh, uh, oppressive. It was hard to follow. It wore you out. I think that was the point. I felt. I felt more like the head of Michael Keaton because of the way it was shot. And I think that was extremely intentional. I don't think it was just something that they said, well, let's just do this because it'd be cool. I really think they were trying to get something across of giving you that same feeling of anxiety and time passing quickly that you get with this kind of filmmaking technique. So I really love that. Mm-hmm. I thought acting was great. Uh, I thought Michael Keaton has to be nominated for Best Actor. I'm not going to say he should go out and win because I think, again, there's some really good performances out there this year. But he's got to be nominated because I'm sorry. He was really good. It could be argued that he was just playing an accentuated version of Michael Keaton. Yeah, that's probably true. But he played it really, really well. I'm sorry. and The whole film was him, pretty much. So he had to carry it as it was. And I thought Ed Norton was excellent. I think he needs a Best Supporting Actor nomination on this. Um, That's probably the only two acting nods I would say need to come out of this film. But... Those two were really, really good, and the scenes they had together were some of the best scenes of the film, in my opinion. Concept-wise, I love the meta meta inferences of it. You know, Keaton playing basically a a, a a heightened version of himself, you know, a lot of the same backstory of his superhero days and where he is now and maybe not having the public attention. But to me, I also just loved how, how willing this film was to skewer actors with big egos to skewer critics to skewer the theater i mean it was actually skewering people who put on pretentious plays as well it was skewering the audience i mean everybody got their dose of skewered here uh and i love that skewered so there's a lot of skewering going on what's that
2: except one important person
1: who the director yeah okay all right we'll get to that in a second all right Chris now is,
3: Chris is just so I just I time.
1: everything just worked for me. I loved the energy. I loved the movement. I loved the the comedy was good. And I would not say this is a comedy because I think yeah. there's some very dark moments to it.
2: Absolutely.
1: But even in the midst of the drama, the heaviest moments towards the end, which we'll we'll spoil as we get closer to the end of this conversation, it still tried to turn that on its head and make that more of a comedy. Which I could see some people having issues with the ending. I will say the ending was probably my least favorite part of the film, Hmm. but it was not enough for me to say that I didn't love this film. So that's my soapbox. I'm ready to take on the fighters, but Abigail, let me toss it over to you because I think you echoed probably a lot of my, my feelings on it as well. If I remember correctly. I
3: did. Um, I, I think it was just a great piece of art. Yes. Um, agreed. Technically. And with the acting, um, I think maybe part of it is because I connected with it really well um, just on a personal level with having done lots of community theater and knowing a few um, people who are on Broadway now and it's, so I think personally I connected with it and I think I connected with the whole um, community, or I guess backstage life sort of of a theater person Um, but also dealing with I mean I guess on a much smaller scale I went to film school but I also did theater while mm-hmm. doing film so that that on a much smaller
1: You had a scale, little bit of percept- perspective on both of those fields bit. yeah.
3: So I think Cuz
1: the film had a lot to do with China this argument of film versus theater and,
3: right, and you know, like Hollywood actors can't be um artistic Broadway right. people and mm-hmm. I I also felt like it was New York is so this way and Hollywood is so this way. And there's Again, so many comparisons. So
2: self-serving to the
3: director. <laughs> so
1: Chris, the, the director Chris of this
2: film really
3: hurt
1: you time. in some form or life. <laughs>
3: so, yeah. What did the director <laughs> do? Absolutely. do? Uh,
1: well, let me just finish up a couple more positives. I think, uh, and Abigail, you jump into before we can talk about some of the things that maybe didn't work and why Chris hates it. Um, <laughs> but I thought, um, you know, the visual style of it in general really worked for me as well. Again, I like the meta references. I think I think it did have a lot to say about a lot of different people and a lot of different audiences. And I don't think anybody was saved out of this thing. I don't think anybody came out looking good from a character standpoint necessarily, except maybe the ex-wife um, played by Amy Ryan. I thought she kind of came out unscathed. She was I don't, kind of a
3: supportive yeah. sort of.
1: Yeah. everybody else kind of got lampooned a little bit and, and that was good. I think that's what it needed. I don't think you needed a hero to come out of this film at all. Um, and uh, the choices, even Riggan, the Michael Keaton ma- character made were pretty poor to de- say, I mean, poor decisions in life. And then towards the end, very misguided. I think this whole concept of ego and uh, wanting to be known and wanting to be remembered is just so heavy on so many big Hollywood actors that, it was really kind of taking them to task for it. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that they would be willing to do something so dramatic and something so over the top just to be remembered or just to be recognized, I think it was saying a lot about the culture that Hollywood feeds with the, and, and we as a public feed these big Hollywood actors and actresses. So, yes. Definitely.
2: Well, let me, before we, before I get in my uh, negative tirade, I will say, you know, I said I had one positive, and actually, I guess it's two. Um, you guys mentioned, Michael Keaton and you mentioned Edward Norton, which I agree. They were both really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to see this movie to ver- verify your Oscar office poll and see who you should think win best actor or whatever. Yeah. See it for those two reasons.
1: If those two, if either of those two don't get nominated I think it's going to be a crime.
2: Well, and I think <laughs> I think uh, two other people in the movie who I think acting across the board I thought was great in the movie. That's my positive. Yeah. Um, and specifically, I'll call out two, two of the actresses that were in here, Emma Stone and Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought they were both really good. Um, Naomi Watts plays an actress who is in a relationship with the Ed Norton character and is one of, he, you know, in this play that he's putting on, she's one of the actresses in that as well. And so I thought, she was crucial to, to having the film work. Emma Stone plays the daughter mm-hmm. of uh, the Riggan, Michael Ke- Keaton character. And she has a very specifically, like I can imagine what the Academy would choose is like her <laughs> nomination scene oh, show sure. for like Best right. supporting yeah. actress. She has this scene, it's the uh, pot ev- scene,
1: right? Was that it's the pot scene? Well, right after finding uh, her, finding the pot, right? Right, where she's chewing clean. out her father. Yeah,
2: and she does the chewing out her father thing. Yes, she chews her father out, and you know Keaton's response to that, but specifically Emma Stone chewing out her dad and how that scene ends. Yeah, and the uh, looks on her face and stuff. Yeah. That was that was amazing. So, that's that's my positive. So acting,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Acting was solid in this yes. thing. I think there were some great uh, dialogue scenes for me. Three or four are memorable. One you just mentioned with Emma Stone. There's another scene where you've got uh, Ed Norton and Emma Stone up on a rooftop, and there's two different instances of the scene. Mm-hmm. One of the dialogues to me is I absolutely loved where that dialogue went. Uh, again, we're not doing spoilers necessarily, but it's just you know I think it's okay to to talk about the dialogue because it doesn't really ruin anything is it for the, the film.
2: Temptation dialogue, the first set of the temptation where she's.
1: Elizabeth. it's a little bit of that it's a it's actually the scene i was thinking about is where she they're playing truth or dare and Yay. she asks him a question at one point and she says you know if you weren't scared and you could do anything with me Absolutely. what would you do
2: she's trying to lead him on she's trying stuff, you yeah. think
1: it's going to go kind of a perverted route because that's the character we think that ed norton's going to play and when he says i'd want to take your eyeballs out of your skull and put them in my skull you're thinking okay now he's going creepy he's going like this really demented version but then he actually circles back and says, because I want to see the world through right. your eyes, like you, uh, at your age. And it was actually a beautiful moment. Yeah. But they they diverted you thinking it was going to be perverted, then it was going to be sadistic, and now it actually turned out to be a very sweet sentiment. That's the way the dialogue happened in so many cases in this, this movie that I really loved. I, you think it's a character's playing a certain role, and then you find out a little bit more how they really are. Um,
3: I think the dialogue was very play-like. It was very stage play-like. I, it was
1: a lot, a lot with a lot. that. I actually think the stage play had a lot more to do with the tone of the film. And I almost wonder if the stage play came first, saying, I want to do an adaptation of this. Then it became a much, much bigger film around right. it, around the characters that were making this film. I don't know. We're making this play.
3: I do like the homages to other plays, too. Okay. Specifically, um, Macbeth. Oh, yeah. And that might get a little more into spoilers, but...
1: Yeah, there definitely was a lot, a lot of references to a lot of them. I mean, they were commenting on the superhero genre with all the actors taking those roles. Yeah. They were commenting. They had Shakespeare in there. They had other plays. They had – it was a lot of references and a lot of things that even some of our audience last night wasn't picking up on half of them as well. So Yeah. All right. True. So, Chris, we've talked positive for the last 15 Suck. minutes. Suck it to us! Why, 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 why do you hate this director, or it seems like this director hates you? Well,
2: <laughs> so. Just you know, the, just several choices okay. that he made. Um, d- to start off with, and R two, I've you know seen several of his movies, and I feel like he always has people in these really oppressive, depressing situations, and okay. he enjoys putting the audience through that. It's like he enjoys putting you through the ringer and they are all they're always bleak and no matter what the people do they always just have the worst possible situations to them and it's just it's like his point is to depress you so okay. why do we keep paying him money to go see the movies well specifically for this movie is because it was billed as a dark comedy but it was a comedy and so that's kind of why I was like oh okay but he does the same thing in this movie where he puts you on a Except actually in all the other movies, it's like a steep incline coaster mm-hmm. emotional. And this one, he actually has you go up and down a couple of times. And like, oh, things are going to work out. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, yes, they are. Oh, no, they're not. And that's a big problem I have with the ending where I feel like it was a cop out. And so we'll get into spoiler territory maybe a little later. But that was the point. It's like he continued his reign of jerking you around. <laughs> and so I... What a know, jerk. What a jerk. <laughs> and so I, I just didn't... I didn't, I didn't like that the uh, one take nature of it. It, you know, Hitchcock did it before you could do digital stuff with rope, so I thought it was nothing but a gimmick. It didn't hmm. achieve anything. It was just irritating to me. Wow. And there's a, so I, I, I wow. wasn't admire. I mean, yes, it's admirable. You could do it, but like, it's much more admirable to do it the old fashioned way. And something else I had a problem with. I was kind of okay with it, but and I'd have to watch the movie again. I think last night or one of the nights when you and I were talking about it, they achieve it seamlessly in my opinion, up to a certain point where I kind of don't know how they're achieving their magic. And then they do the rope method. where they cut when they go into darkened doorways, mm-hmm. but that doesn't happen seemingly to me, at least I think until like 30 mm-hmm. minutes or 45 minutes. I felt like it was much further in the film. Than think I think. It
3: became slightly more obvious. As yeah. And then it was like, they just, they
2: stopped caring about it and they started doing that a lot. And that really annoyed me. I'm like, well, you had it so cool in the beginning. Why didn't you just continue that? Like, that that annoyed me, and then it made me think it was nothing more than the gimmick. And in, you, so that that was annoying. The music the film, in the beginning, I was with it. I felt like I was This watching. is uh, like very staccato like that,
1: drums, really, just, just, just kind of like yeah, jazz like drumming, that. just random. You right. know? And yeah. it, and
2: I haven't seen Whiplash yet, but I'm, there's like a similar drumming and like jazz drumming in that, where it's like staccato and kind of all over the place, erratic. That worked at first. But then... For some t- sometimes he would lapse into this like classical music that was soaring, and it was like he was wanting to. He's so heavy handed. That's the thing I have against this director, is he's so heavy handed. The jazz drumming music worked, and if you just use that, but then he's like, "No, I want to get even more in your face and use this soaring musical score at some points just to kind of like ram my point home even more." Oh. And then I'll jump, and then I'll jump back to like the jazz drumming. So it's just like he can't be satisfied. He likes to take your face and rub it in something.
3: Seriously, what just, did he do? I, just, he? I just I know. Kidding. I know. I, think,
1: I really think there's a backstory here. We need to explore with Chris and, and Anna too. They had um,
3: like a college.
1: Uh, yeah, they, they were they were rivals back in college. Just went, Chris spent some time in Mexico that he doesn't like to talk about.
2: <laughs> Actually, what he did is he waterboarded me until I could pronounce his name house. correctly. That's what it was. So I, that's how I can pronounce his name correctly. Um, and then there's another scene um one Go, thing keep, that keep going uh, sure. oh, yeah, yeah I mean, that's I, fine you know, i actually wrote some down <laughs> oh, okay please does, like, by all means so they i did the scene where he makes a commentary that's the thing is he's so willing to like take everyone down a peg oh let's take actors down a peg let's take broadway down you? a peg let's take critics down a peg and i don't have a problem with that you know here i am critiquing his movie but it's so like Everyone else is wrong. And then what does he do is he has the scene where the Birdman, Michael Keaton, imagines that if he did do another sequel movie and, like, you know, you see comets hitting the street, you see destruction. Yeah, you it see goes action. for,
1: like, a minute of just de- yeah, wanton destruction and yeah, action, action on the movie street. Stuff.
2: And instead of just having that happen and then having Michael Keaton be like, oh, maybe I could do that, and then moving on – he then has a direct address from Birdman, like to the can you know to the audience, saying like, "Oh, this is what you like, isn't it?" And just like, okay, I get it. You're preaching to the choir. People that go see Birdman aren't <laughs> the people that go see Transformers. If you want to make that kind of didactic lesson, do it in. A, get hired on to do Transformers and do that, or get hired on to make Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too, and then make your point. Don't do it in Birdman because we get it. We don't need to be lectured to like that. That was so <laughs> profoundly. That was actually, at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm done with you. I am done wow. with this movie when that, when that wow. interesting camera happened. That was a slap in the face. It was. You. He he insulted my family at that point. Man. Uh, so. Well, I just,
1: you wow. know. I don't know if it's just like Chris. I just went into this with no preconceived notions of the director. Because I, mean, I have seen Babel. I've seen 21 Grams. Okay. I'm not huge fans. I did like 21 Grams. I liked it. Better. Uh, Babel, really, I didn't care for. So, but I, I was able to go in without any of those preconceived notions. So I wasn't looking to see where chains were being jerked or the roller coaster for me worked. I mean, the thing is, I liked the highs and the lows. I liked the fact that it was comedic and then it would tr- shift over to more dramatic. It worked because again, this is backstage in the theater. I mean, that's kind of the life, you know. That's I was okay with that.
2: If only he had taken some shots. On Hollywood directors or even independent directors trying to work outside the system, then that way he would have been taking kind of take the South Park approach, take everyone down. You know, don't just make fun of one group like take every single group down, including yourself. Mm. then I, could, I wonder how but I just he, felt like he kept building himself up while tearing everyone I never saw it as down. him building well, what himself if up. You I think he didn't mm-hmm. know
3: anything about.
2: Any yeah. of his other movies, and this was a standalone?
3: Yeah, what do you think about that?
2: Fair fair question, fair question. Fair question. I
3: feel like... Um, I'm, I I'm trying I've, to think of how that would fit in the movie.
2: Well, I think that's a, that's a fair yeah. question because, you know, just like you can't compare 2001 with Interstellar that we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, it's, right. you should judge this movie on its own merit. On its own merit, if I leave out the director, I still would admire the acting.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: you know the one take approach, interesting, but I think still I would have come away with the fact Thinking that it was like, heavy heavy handed in some instances. Now, great the baggage that I have with Mr. Inartu, probably it don't help. <laughs> it only it only hurts. Um, but you're right. I think if you look at it just with a self contained piece.
3: Well, then, what do you think of maybe a way of him? Sort this might be far fetched, but a way that he maybe could have sort of. I guess poked fun at himself as well as... Keep it
2: keep it um, would keep be- it contained within Hollywood and don't bring it to Broadway. And like Michael Keaton, you know, I, I'm not the, you know, I'll see if Mr. Inart who rings me up and gets me for screen screen ideas to try to fix movie, you know. But yeah, it's always easy to Do you think guess he something. might have but sort if of... If he would have kept it in the realm of Hollywood and that way, and somehow referenced directors who are pompous or direct, like somehow instead of just kind of Taking on everybody, you know, I think maybe that would have worked for yeah, me
1: a little bit. I just don't buy the argument, Chris. I mean, I, I'm a. I think he was skewing Hollywood. He was. He wasn't skewing the concept of acting, or directing, or performance oh, he on He Wasn't doing directing. He was skewering <laughs> He was skewering, uh, ego. Okay. He was skewing any place where pretentious and egos run rampant over the art. Because if you think about it, I don't think he was saying, oh, actors are stupid or he's not saying actors are over dramatic. He was pinpointing saying that, yes, these actors that are way more egocentric are. Yes, that's that's a problem, you know, Um, because honestly, I thought the most real. I think the person he was the kindest to, believe it or not, was Ed Norton's character, because I think he saw that at least he wanted to show us that even though Ed Norton's character was a jerk, Mm -hmm. he was a real actor. He wasn't in it for the ego, necessarily. He was in it because he, was he really... Good he, he was good what did. He was good. Really he's a jerk, but he was a good actor. Where everybody else, Riggin was constantly, the whole story about him uh, being worried about the fact that uh, when he was on a plane and the plane was going through turbulence, if it had crashed, that George Clooney would be on the front page of the paper for his daughter to see, as opposed to him. That's the perfect message of what's wrong with that guy. It's mm-hmm. just he's constantly focused on the ego. Where Ed Norton's character wasn't. He wanted the craft to be right. He wanted the art to be right. Damn anybody else, you know. So I think he actually got off kind of scot free by the end of the film, where he was the one you kind of look back and say, "All right, he's a jerk," but at least he he really he didn't let his ego override his artistic endeavors, where everybody else did. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was all about ego, you know. Even the Nomi Watts character was all about, "I want to be on Broadway, and I don't want this to be you know, don't mess this up for me," type of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was. So I don't think he was skewing acting as much as he was skewing ego. Well, and, and even, you know,
2: but ego, okay, there again, uh, you know, I, if he would skewer ego in a director. But and he, I realize that's not the movie he made, but I just felt like, you're right, not skewering actors because he did bring out the highlights of some of those people, but just the fact that I, I, I just needed, I needed a director to be taken. I, I and like and this is going to
1: sound really weird, but, you know, what if, as a director, he feels like he's doing really good, solid work, And he's doing the kind of movies that he wished more people would make, so he wants to skewer those people who are making crap movies, and he wants to skewer people that are being way too pretentious about it. I don't actually think he was skewering the action genre much at all. He was skewering the audience that was only fixated on those kind of films and would not look at different forums because – I don't because even by the end, Reagan as a character kind of started to embrace his blockbuster status a little bit more, and that gave him peace. You know,
2: well, and if he could be more subtle about it, you know, having um, having the uh, Bumblebee and Transformers, I believe, <laughs> yeah, because he's a transformer, fighting Iron Man, uh, fighting um, Iron Man in like this imagined dance sequence with like you yeah. know on the stage at some point. That's okay, uh-huh. you know, but the addressing Birdman addressing the camera and making you feel dumb for liking them. Like,
1: I just, I didn't, I didn't, but uh, I didn't feel like it was making hand. us feel dumb. It was, it was
2: shaming us.
1: It was shaming some element of the audience where everybody goes to the big, the big blockbuster, blow them up films and they don't want to think, you know? And I think that's what it is, is just people not willing to think is what's so being skewered here. And then with group. the theater, it was that the theater crowd, there's certain elements of the theater crowd that are so pretentious where it's like, oh, you're not going to open up a show on my street and Broadway in my theater. And unless you're going to be willing to do something dramatic and shocking on stage, I'm not going to give you a good review. Those were getting skewered too. So it's like he was going after the extremes. It's either the people who don't want to think ever and just want mindless entertainment. And it's those that are so highbrow that it's like, oh, I'm going to look my nose down on everything else. If it's not at this certain standard of mine, you know, I think the middle ground comes out okay. It's the extremes he definitely was was having fun with. Hmm. And then the egos of the performers who were putting these things on, I think, got the worst of it. <laughs> All right, real quick, we got a couple more minutes just to – we can dip into the ending a little bit. This is our spoiler moment for this film, okay? So, again, skip ahead five minutes or so if you don't want to be spoiled by the end of the film. But we do need to talk about the ending because, Chris, I get the impression that you are – you were already checked out of this movie kind of probably by the two-thirds mark, it sounded like. Yeah. The ending did not help the situation at all, it sounds yeah. like. I will admit the ending was a little weaker than I would have liked, but, I mean, endings are a tough thing to pull off in films anyway. I, I The last five minutes did not kill my enthusiasm for the film. It just... It could have been handled better, I agree,
2: so we have like not like ending, Abigail. How do you feel on it?
3: I loved it actually you love the it.
1: ending okay well why 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 do you, do you, why you think you the, the ending er? um the
3: ending I loved it I don't necessarily think that it was I think the ending was maybe a little easy
2: absolutely,
3: <laughs> but I do like? think that maybe that doesn't really matter, hmm. like I think at the end, you know she. This is spoilers, right? Yep. Baseball. We're we're okay. Go for it. So, when she um, looks out the window, and her dad has either maybe jumped to his death or just flown away, and then you see <laughs> first or like, just, just flown
2: away, or just flown away because he is very <laughs> yeah
3: Yeah. Um, and then the last shot is her just looking up as if he's.
2: If he's, oh, I'm a, sorry. Not just looking up, looking up and then having a golden light as if from heaven Uh, shine down on her face. Yeah, so
3: that's that's what happened. (laughs) But I think that it was kind of a simple way to make, or maybe it was his way of trying to tie together reality from, um, I mean, because I think the whole time I was thinking, okay, I, I feel like as... Someone who goes to movies a lot. I feel like I should know that he's throwing things and he's closing doors not by himself. It's supposed to be in his head.
2: Referencing at some points in the movie... It looked like Birdman could make things. Made. Like he had yeah. like psychic. Like, right, like, right,
1: he right, actually right. had psychic uh, telekinesis powers. And that, and not
2: not Michael Keaton as an actor, not dressed up in the Birdman costume, where it was obvious he was imagining. That, but he would be in his dressing right. room, and you'd see things like yeah. flying around.
3: So in a so I know that I guess it was supposed to be all in his head or whatever, but I think that at the end it sort of made this. I don't know, like a point of. I don't even know how to explain it. A point of um, not necessarily was it real? Was it not real? Because I think it's pretty obvious at the end that he just has some things going on in his head that are kind of making him crazy. But I think it kind of just—it's no—it's it, not something like oh, it was all a dream kind of thing. It's hmm. more oh, maybe he flew away. All right, well,
1: I—I'm with or you, maybe Abigail. And that he I,
3: died, and and in that way he flew. Away. I don't—I don't know.
1: He flew away.
3: And in I, that way he flew away, but. <laughs> Obviously, uh, she looks up into the sky. So that's- And
2: before Alan, I'm gonna before you you explain the the ending because I just to cons- the roller coaster analogy that I tried to draw mm-hmm. earlier, how he jerks you around, right? Uh, you know, there's an instance that lands him in the hospital, and at that instance, you're, we can spoil well, it. We can, you spoil can say- it. so. You think he committed suicide?
1: Okay? Yeah, he, he tried to shoot himself on stage. You, you think yeah. He's dead. Yep.
2: So I was like, okay, there's the crash and burn. There's a roller coaster going fast downhill ends on a bummer note. Up, oh, no, he's in the hospital.
3: He only shot he's, his. He nose only shot off. his nose off. is yeah, yeah, I thought shoot that was nose hilarious. nose
2: off despite your face. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, that that's fine. And then that's fine. But he then has he has this. He has the, the mask bird because his bandages Looking look yes. like
1: his nose is now like a beach. That's
2: yeah. that's that's fine. Um, but then he reconciles with his wife or ex-wife. Not to dig yeah. it back together, but you know, kind of make nice a little She's bit. Pretty pissed at him. Re- yeah, reconciles with the daughter too, and like things are kind of happy. Then what happens is he opens the window up
3: and you're well, like he's he still hears nuts. the birds outside. He sees yeah, right and so then he's he opens like oh my god birds and, and then, then he... he
2: jumps out and you're
1: like well, okay, now no, we're going back down. You again. never see him jump. He stands he out on stands, the ledge. Yeah, you Yeah. You never yeah. see and him then jump. The camera turns The camera around. moves okay, away okay. before he moves. So
2: he gets so out on the ledge. He gets out on the ledge. But his daughter. Okay, so you don't know what happens. His daughter comes in. She looks in the room. He's, he's not in the not room there. anywhere. She looks outside. He's not anywhere outside. So, okay, he didn't jump. Then where is he? See, I, think, I think that's where I go back that, to Abigail. Is jerking, jerking you around? I go back to whatever. The fact we're Abigail having said. this conversation, yeah. he's purposely joking around, jerking you around. He's not leaving it open ended. He's trying to be more. I thought so, it was very. And then it's open like, in. okay, so he died. So, like, she looks out the window and she realizes he died. But then they have to make. But then no, they have to make it, to make it happy again by having the light come down from heaven, and maybe he's okay. What
1: if? What if? <laughs> but what if, like Abigail's saying, hard. what if? What if it's more of an idea of? I mean, I kind of wonder if even the last little scene we saw even really happened, or if this was more of a again visual uh, imagery of what's happening with these two characters. Is that she's scared for him? Okay she, her father just tried to do something crazy, right. and she's, it scared her. Right. She's finally getting some connection back with him. Her looking out the window and imagining him soaring is her kind of buying in finally to where he is in his life and what he's trying to do. So again, I think you could stretch and say that that's the case. Now, I, I, I don't have any problem with a vague ending. I actually like endings where it's kind of left to you to kind of figure out what what, the, what it means.
2: I like vague endings too. Uh, this was a cop-out vague.
1: See, I don't, I don't feel that way. I felt like... <laughs> now, granted, I do know exactly how this film should have And it wasn't
2: even ended. vague. It wasn't even vague. Vague, like, I like open endings and vague things, but this was, like, choice A, B. I felt like nah. it was very, like, and just jerking you around like I didn't
1: that. feel it. Now, I do know how it should have ended, though. You want to hear my perfect ending for the film? <laughs> okay. Yes. Go everything exactly like it did, the shooting on stage, the hospital room afterwards, blah, blah, blah. He goes in the bathroom. He looks at his nose. He, he sees, sees his nose, Birdman is, on the toilet. He sees Birdman on the toilet. and As he walks out of the room, he kind of mutters something to Birdman, drops an F-bomb to him, basically tells him to get lost. Right. Cut. That should have been it. If he walked back out of that bathroom and basically told Bat- Birdman, who's sitting on the toilet, F-you. Right. And walks out and shuts the door. End of the film.
2: I agree. I think that is a much okay. better that ending. That would have been a
1: perfect ending. That Let's... is a much
2: better ending, and I would have liked the film better. Okay. I had my moment about two-thirds of the way through, where we had the direct yeah. address of the camera that made me get off board. I was, like, <laughs> bored with the movie. I hated the movie at that point.
3: Now he's talking to me. I'm
2: and, then, and then the way it ended, yeah. that just made it that much worse.
1: So, yeah, I, I do like your ending. I, I just think that would have been perfect. Now, I'm not saying I didn't like the ending that he, he went with, right. but I would have liked the more... That's it. He's basically telling his alter ego to, like, go F off. And that would have been perfect. That's I think, all I needed to hear. Right. And that would have been a perfect ending for the film. So. I think
3: maybe artistic-wise, like, he, uh, the last shot with Emma Stone looking up into the sky with mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the light of lights. God on her. Yes. Um, I feel like maybe what, whatever you're supposed to think about, what happens at the end or whatever, I think that maybe – does that – Seem like somewhat of an homage to like a superhero movie. Well, because it's I don't I could, know. I could I could see that. Because when I saw that shot in the trailer, I thought that that shot was going to come at some point. Yeah, because see, that they, killed they me also too, sort of show yeah. him like flying around at like one point in mm-hmm. the trailer, and then one of the next shots is her looking up into the sky. So then when that doesn't happen until the very end.
1: Yeah, that no, was a
2: disappointment for me. I knew that shot was weird. coming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So I could see it being referential to how ho- typical Hollywood movies end, where it's always going to end on an up note, and him being sarcastic about that and be like, "Okay, here's your little up note. Here's the light in so I, I could I could see that being referential to the superhero movies. I still think,
3: yeah, you still hated it though. <laughs> yeah, so
1: that is Birdman. <laughs> I think here again we clocked in about our thirty minutes, so this is going to be a long episode. Uh, it sounds like Chris, definitely some reservations and issues with the film, although we're all going agreement, the acting was awesome. Yes. Really solid. Yes. But he just has a personal vendetta against the director. Uh, I did notice <laughs> in the credits when I was looking at the credits last night, Chris, your name's in the credits. It gave you a kind of a...
2: It's his inspiration for yes. the theater critic. He That's right. He used me as yep. his inspiration. He
1: used you. <laughs> there we go. Um Abigail and I are both very positive on the film and um, high on it, so uh, We good.
3: Actually, at the very end... We, Alan was sitting in like a row in predict. front of me and he stood up and he was like, How'd you like it? I loved it. Did you? Yeah, I loved it too. I wonder how Chris thought about it. We both pegged him as we both thought Chris oh, was gonna love it. He loved it.
1: Yeah, man, we were so wrong.
3: We were I so wanted to love it, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> so that is Birdman. Uh, it's uh, still playing in some theaters. I think it, it definitely racked up some nominations on Screen Actors Guild Award and the Golden Globes. So it's going to be batted around for the next couple months. We're going to hear a lot more about it, I'm sure. Again, I'm going on record. Michael Keaton, Ed Norton have to be nominated I, for I, their roles.
2: Yes. I absolutely agree. Okay, yeah.
1: this is the best thing I've seen Ed Norton do in I don't know how long. And Michael Keaton, it's not hard to say the best thing in a long time because he really hasn't done a lot in the last 10, 20 years. And I really
2: like him. So I I'd do like too. To so
1: him. it was good to see him get a good, meaty starting role like this and really get to flex his muscles too on the, on the, on the acting side. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll circle back with our recommendations of online recommendations for the month. We're going to have to pass on news because I think we're running a little long on today's episode as it is. When we come back, we'll do our online recommendations and close out the show. So stay tuned for the last little part of here on Foot Candle Films.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to
1: Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. You just heard our very lengthy discussions about the films Interstellar and Birdman, and we thank uh, Abigail for joining us on those two conversations as well. Uh, obviously. Things got a little little more testy during the Bird, Birdman <laughs> uh, conversation, but that's okay. We haven't had one of those major disagreements in quite a while. So uh, it is a very divisive film. Uh, we were just commenting during the break about uh, – we've I can't recall a film where I've seen so many critics on completely polar, polar opposite ends on how they review that film. So you're not alone, Chris, in your frustration with the film. <laughs> I'm not alone in my love for the film. So there's definitely camps out there for both, it sounds like. How does that for a little peacemaking thing between us here? Sounds is that, good. Is that okay, we do want to kind of turn right into our recommendations. This is normally where we cap off the episode with recommendations of a film we think you ought to check out. It can either be one that maybe you just slipped under the radar, maybe it's a blast from the past, one you maybe haven't picked up on in a while, just something else we want to call your attention to that either we've seen recently or just came back into our uh, came back into our peripheral view, and we want to share that with you. In uh, all hopes that these movies are available through iTunes for rent or purchase, Netflix. Uh, who knows? There's so many different ways now. Amazon, Hulu, different ways to watch a lot of these movies. So, Chris, what, uh, what do you have to share with us today? What recommendation do you want to make?
2: That's right. I'm actually going to uh, talk about a movie I liked and I recommend as opposed to tearing something down. So you're going to talk about Babel? Which I basically did for Interstellar yeah. and Birdman. Uh, no, I'm going to talk about another film that uh, was at uh, did You the end of the year. I'm trying to catch up on a lot of movies that I've missed throughout the year that I've heard good things about. So, you know, we're going to do a show where we kind of say our top five or, you know, mm-hmm. kind of talk about our the you know, best films of the year. Well, this was one that uh, was at Riverrun that you and I both attended. Hmm. But it just, you know, you can only do so much at sure. a festival. So mm-hmm. many different movies. So I missed this one. Um, but I'd never heard of the director, as it turns out, Jillian Robespierre, I think is how you say her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I think it's her first film. But uh, the big draw to the film would have been because of Jenny Slate. Mm-hmm. And she, I, you know, I fall out of watching Saturday Night Live. I still like it, but I just rarely catch up with it. And so I knew she was on there. I remember her a little bit being on there, but not, not much about her. Sure. But I was like, oh, Saturday Night Live person making their first like feature film. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you find out what the film's about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the name of the film, let me go ahead and say that, is Obvious Child, mm-hmm. which is a reference to the Paul Simon song, which is used in the film. Okay. Um, it is a comedy, um, but it's about, basically, it's about comedy that has abortion as one of the big themes. Right. Um, so it's, but it takes it seriously and doesn't treat it disrespectfully. Sure. But uh, I guess it's kind of the other side of the coin of knocked up okay. you know that Seth Rogen comedy. And that was just a straight out comedy. Sure. And you know, in that film, the woman has basically a one night stand, but she keeps the child and does mm-hmm. not have an abortion. Well, this is kind of the opposite side where two people that do not know each other at all have a one night stand. She is pregnant, gets pregnant and says there's no way I'm ready for this. And she chooses to have an abortion. Right. Um, it handles the subject matter well, mm-hmm. and it you know it's very serious. Yet, it also manages to have some funny movements that don't necessarily have to do with, you know, the process of an abortion or something, which is obviously very serious. But it rather shows the immature nature of the main character, mm-hmm. um, Jenny Slate, who is a, in the movie. She plays a stand-up comedian, and I think what makes the movie work in my mind is you realize she's immature but that she also has to come to terms with growing up. She's mm-hmm. made some bad decisions before, but this is a decision that she's making that she kind of realizes, okay, and I need to start being serious about right. what I'm doing in my life and start realizing, you know, I need to grow up. And what I don't really remember her, like I said, that much from Saturday Night Live, but what kind of surprised me in the the film is her stand-up comedy is very derogatory towards herself. Hmm. Like she just mm-hmm. makes herself out to be... You know, this ridiculous – and it's all – um she just derides herself constantly and kind sure. of puts herself down and stuff, which is – but it's still very funny. And so it's very interesting. And the way – the way in which she reveals to the gentleman who, you know, they had sex and she has a child, the way in which she reveals to him that she's pregnant is amazing. Really? Um Yeah. Cool. And it's really well handled. And it was like walking – the whole movie because it is a it is a comedy but it's more of a dramedy obviously mm-hmm. sure but it is walking such a tightrope with this subject matter and i i think they carry it off hmm. uh, or they pull it off so um i recommend it and it's it's up there for one of my films of the year too wow. um, i don't know where I've, exactly i've
1: heard great things about it and i do remember it being at river run that we you know, it just it was a different weekend than we were planning on being there right um and Jenny Slate, I actually remember her. She only had one season at Saturday Night Live, I well, believe. Well, that's
2: why I barely remember her. Yeah, okay. she was only
1: on there as a featured player for one year. I'm, I'm mm. a big SNL geek, so <laughs> I don't I don't ever miss it. Okay. And I do remember her. The only rem- memorable thing I remember with her is uh, she notoriously, during a skit, um, dropped the F-bomb in live TV. That um, Seeing
2: this movie, which is very has mm-hmm. a lot of profanity, does not surprise yeah, me. Yeah,
1: and that was just kind of her everybody kind of wonders if that was the reason why she's only there for one season type of thing. So, but cause kind of unpredictable and huh. maybe so. Um, it was part of the skit. It was a skit where they were saying freaking over and over again. And of course she just slipped up one time and said the real F bomb. And, and, you know, anyway, that's, wow. I remember from the Saturday night live days. I think she's very talented. I think where she's really good. If you, I don't know if you ever watch, um, the Kroll show on Co- comedy central as a skit based show about Dave, Kroll. Uh, it's a Kroll, Nick Kroll. Comedian, hmm. and she actually plays a regular part on that and is very funny on okay that. and then she's also been in parks and recreation okay she uh she played a a a supporting role for a number of episodes there as well so mm-hmm. she's you probably recognize her if you see her you know if you hadn't, if you haven't seen the movie yet, but she's not quite a household name but this this film is getting a lot of good attention, so I'm glad you got a chance to see it it's definitely on my wish list to see it at some point well okay i'm I'm really torn with my recommendation, Chris, because this first film. I'm going to recommend two only okay. because I got to balance and clean my palate a little bit after this first one. Oh, I, I only wow. gave this one three and a half stars and I, let me explain why I'm still giving as a recommendation. Cause I think it's worth seeing well, only three be- and a half's Good. Three is good. It's good. I think it's so discussion worthy though. That's the reason hmm. I think people ought to see it because I actually got so angry at this film about two thirds of the way through Seems like Birdman. <laughs> <laughs> I got so angry at this film about where it was heading. And then it took getting to the end and kind of thinking back on it to make me start to appreciate it a little bit more. Hmm. Um, the film's called compliance. Have you seen oh, this? Oh yes. Okay.
2: Yeah. And, and I, I think, I think I, I think I have continued talking about it. it's, like a telephone prankster
1: that yes. ca- yeah,
2: yeah, yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah yeah well you don't know it's a prankster, necessarily at first. I mean the problem is the whole situation it all takes place in a fast food restaurant, and you've got a manager and you've got a young employee. Mm-hmm. They get a phone call uh, to the manager that basically is from a police officer saying, "Hey, uh, a girl that works there uh, stole something from one of your customers. I just got it called in I've seen the video evidence I'm coming out that way to deal with her. You have to keep her like." Detained back in the break room mm-hmm. until I get there. That's the premise of the film. And where it goes from there is you basically have this police officer on the other end of the phone constantly having to call back in because supposedly he's still in transit and has a ways to go. And having the staff, the people that work there at the restaurant, deal with this girl in many different ways forcing strip search, forcing uh, having her restrained in certain ways demoralizing her because supposedly she's a criminal Mm -hmm. and it's all done with the power of influence by the person on this phone. Now about two thirds of the way through this film, I'm getting livid upset because I'm just like, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. There's no way the people in this restaurant would listen to the voice on this phone and do what they're telling. He's telling them to do to this girl, but they do and come to find out this is based on a true story. Right. And it really did happen. Right. At that point, I'm like, okay. Now, I kind of feel a little stupid for being so critical of it, but yet it's still one of those it will make you mad watching it because you can't believe how stupid some of these people are and the things that they are actually able allowed to do based on just somebody on a phone telling them what to do under the auspices of the police. Well, so, I, I think
2: there's judgment too. Not judgment, but... Um, You know, you like to think you're better than those people. But at some point during the film, because of what's being done to them, you have to ask yourself, well, you know, what would I do in the same situation? I would hope to think that I wouldn't do this stuff. But if that person was so good at manipulating, how do I know that I couldn't make a mistake? How do I know that? But it,
1: it starts to get to the point where the things that are being told to do to this girl are bad. You just. Yes. Anybody with the right mind would know that is not. Can't be possible. Right. Then there's no way me as an individual, I would get in trouble if I did not do these things. Right. But we are dealing with people in this situation, this story that were a lot more susceptible, Mm -hmm. a lot more impressionable. Right. And that's where it shows where the power of influence if treated on the, if, if, if affected on the right people can make people do really, really bad things. So I was both mad at this movie Came away a little bit more appreciative, just because I did find out it's based on a true story. It's not just a, a, a made up fiction story that was too unbelievable. No, it was really it, it really happened.
2: Is it the director? It's one of his first films. Yes, too, Craig right? Zobel.
1: Okay, yeah. and I want to say too, I thought the the lead actress, who I believe, gosh, I don't remember her name offhand. I I, I can see her picture here, but I don't know the name offhand, uh, and I don't know anything else that she's done. But she was good as the young girl who was being detained. I thought it was pretty impressive. I mean in general I thought the acting overall was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um of course she was playing a role where she it was a pretty humbling role and something that she was uh having to play a lot of different emotions in a lot of different uh, in a in a short amount of time. So right. I think I thought it was a very good movie in hindsight of it but I did want to say it was a it it's was a, one I had to kind of struggle through.
2: And it's a tough watch because it, no, is, it is so upsetting. It is. Yeah. It is
1: very upsetting. I'm just going to counter that by saying, you know what? It's the holiday season. You don't need to watch compliance with your family when you're looking to pull up something. Uh, it's not one to watch. But I'm going to say one that I've caught back up on and actually watched twice because it's been on cable, like nonstop on a certain channel for the last few days. Hmm. That I remembered how much I appreciate it as a movie and forgotten how much I love this film. I even teased on it at a, on another podcast episode with our uh, Entrepreneur Exchange show this morning. Uh, the film's Tootsie. All right, Dustin Hoffman, uh, back from, what was it, 90, or I'm sorry, 80-something. Uh, I don't remember the exact year. It was early, mid-80s. It was one of those films I know my parents really liked when it came out, but <laughs> as a kid, I'm like, I don't want to watch that. It was like 1982, okay. so I guess I was like 9 or 10 years old. Right. Um, didn't think much about it. It got to be when I was in my 20s. I think I finally saw it and liked it, thought it was okay. Now I've seen it more recently and really just – admire this film for a couple of reasons. Okay. One, I think Dustin Hoffman, I mean, if you didn't already think Dustin Hoffman was a good actor, this should just shut the case right there <laughs> okay. to, to say that he took a cross dressing role and actually pulled it off. I'm sorry, but I really do can see how back in 82, somebody who met Dorothy the, the girl he, he became and believed she was real. I could totally buy that. And then you got Jessica Lang in there, which I think really played a, a really interesting role. And that she's supposed to be the love interest, but yet there's a lot more going on with her character than you kind of realize or remember uh, until you watch the film again. Her relationship with her director, you know, things going on. She's got a kid. There's a lot of dramatic elements to that. Her father's involved in the story. Hmm. It's just yes, the premise is simple. It's a guy uh, Dustin Hoffman plays character who, you know, is kind of frustrated by the fact that he can't get the roles he wants, and his girlfriend at the time gets turned down for a role because she wasn't sassy or feminine enough or whatever so he's trying to make a point that he's going to dress up as a woman and go get this job go get this role and prove to everybody that you know even he could do it so it's like they're all he's just trying to make a point about how they're all very being very way too judgmental on these actresses come to find out he kind of gets sucked into the role actually enjoys the fact that he's got this role and he's got some fame but now he gets too deep into it it's hard to get back out of it so Uh, It affects his relationship with his girlfriend. Uh, It got the Jessica Lane character. He starts to try to have a relationship with in a weird way. It's a, it's a fun film. And uh, I just, I don't know. I've enjoyed watching it while it's been on cable the last few days here.
2: I, I have seen Tootsie, but Mm -hmm. not in a long time. And of course I have seen hearing you describe it. I could see, you know, younger listeners to our show, maybe not having heard of that film. All they can think of is Miss Doubtfire.
1: (laughs) Yeah. This is Um, a much more romantic adult, mrs Dalfire.
2: well and um well you know miss Dalfire has its uh strengths and stuff i would actually like to go back and revisit to see because in my mind i've just kind of written it off as well it came first but it's basically miss Dalfire. but you're saying there's a lot more there so i'm actually
1: i'm curious to go revisit that no it's a really it's a fun movie i mean it's more than anything it's a comedy okay it does have a sweet romantic center to it i think uh I think there's some scenes that are impressive scenes because they kind of deal with the situation a little bit more than a Miss Doubtfire might, you know, type of, uh, oh, look, I'm dressing up like a female and look at how everybody treats me different. There's a lot more to it here. Um, In particular, there's a really interesting situation where Jessica Lane's father develops a crush on Dustin Hoffman's female character, and he's trying to court her and everything. Uh, There's a scene towards the end of the film where, of course, uh, I'm not – Spoiling anything at this, yeah, this point, the film is like 20 some years old. Right. Um, where obviously he reveals to everybody that he's not really a woman, he's really a man, and he has to go for it to clear his own conscience and go confront the father, uh, <laughs> and let him know that hey, you you proposed to me, and I'm sorry I put you through that. And of course, wow. I'm a guy, and i
2: right
1: just the scene that those two had at a bar, I think, is both. Funny, but also extremely touching. And it's like, it's the way you would want that situation to be resolved. Huh. So God. there's just a lot of really good human elements. It's directed by Sidney Pollack. Um, wow, that's a big name. I didn't
2: realize yeah. he was the director of that. It's
1: just, it's a good movie. It's a really good, solid movie. And uh, again, it, Dustin Hoffman was extremely funny. I mean, this is like one of the few comedies he's done, but he really pulled off. Bill Murray is his roommate. Which oh. you don't even remember. Wow, no, no very small supporting role, but he's hilarious in every scene. Terry Garr's in it as his girlfriend. Wow, uh, uh, Dabney um, Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman is the director, the sleazeball ball director. Wow. Uh, it's yeah, a good good and movie. And I really appreciated that film, so I've had fun watching it the last few weeks here again. So, huh, okay. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Then we've done our recommendations. You got us some films to check out there that we think you ought to, you ought to seek out if you haven't seen already. And of course you can go back and listen to our marathon discussions of both interstellar and Birdman earlier in the episode here. So with that, we're going to wrap it up for 2014. Looks like we're going to try squeeze in one more episode, kind of our best of the year episode, top five films of the year. And I think we're also going to mention maybe our biggest disappointment, uh, year Could huh. Interstellar or Birdman make one of those two lists?
2: Maybe. Yeah, rest. we'll have to we'll get a few categories.
1: There. And then maybe like a worst film we saw this year, too. I think we'll just pick out one. We don't need to pick out multiple worst films. Let's just go on <laughs> the <laughs> one worst film experience we had this year, the one biggest disappointment we had, and then maybe we'll do our top five best films. Does that sound like a good plan? Sure. That'll be our episode. We're probably not going to do any reviews or news or anything with those. It's just going to be our countdown for the end of the year. And then we'll be starting back up in January for 2015, our new season, I guess you could say, of Foot Candle Films as we go into the new year. Again, uh, go on iTunes, subscribe to our show, give us star ratings, give us feedback, whatever you can to let us know how we're doing. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about the show, feel free to send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. You can go to TheMesh.TV, our website, and find Foot Candle Films on there and post a comment or uh, send us a message. If you're also interested in our film society, Chris, where should they go to learn a little bit more about that?
2: That would just be go to uh, FootCandle.org, and there you'll see, you know... As well as it actually, we post our episodes there, podcast episodes, but also you'll see a little bit about the film society, why we got started, how long we've been around and stuff. So if you're in the area, the western north carolina area
1: yeah western north carolina area and you want to come join us for one of our film screenings just drop us a note let us know we'd love to have you as a guest um we have about 550 members yeah it's pretty impressive gosh can you believe that 550 people in western north carolina get together uh once a month to watch films and talk about them afterwards not too uh, shabby we have a good time not all 550 at one time no that would be insane yes but uh we normally get at least 100 120 each screening we do for sure so uh good stuff Yep. Check it out at footkindle.org. And with that, we're going to wrap it up today. Uh, thanks so much for all your listening throughout the year. And uh, I'm actually gonna throw a real quick plug for oh, something that you kind of had a throwaway mention of. Sure.
2: But uh, the entrepreneur exchange, another it's another podcast on the mesh.tv. Oh, yeah, Thank you. And they do, you know, it's it's business oriented, obviously, entrepreneur exchange. However, I will say they have a new episode that's gonna be coming out, may come out before this episode or slightly after. But their whole topic was business lessons learned from movies. And basically the whole episode, they talk a lot about movies. So Alan mentioned that he talked about Tootsie on there, but there are two other guys on the show and they just talked about movies. So if you're listening to this, you obviously like to listen to people talking about movies. That's an episode of that show that I would definitely recommend you. If you want some more movie talk, go check out
1: that episode. That's a good point. There's actually about seven films, I think, collectively we brought up that are good for business lessons, but they're good entertaining films as well.
2: Uh, and an entertaining moment that one of the guys share. He's the normal host, uh, <laughs> but he shares about uh, Wolf of Wall Street, and that's all I want to yeah. say. <laughs> I'm it's Not going to say anything a, more about that. Story. It's yeah. a good story.
1: So that's Entrepreneur Exchange. Uh, whether or not you're into business discussions, if you're a film film buff, that's at least going to be an episode of that 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 show you want to check out. Is they had me as a special guest to talk about films. It's our second year doing that, so we actually had a so yes, yeah, actually you year. could
2: check out last year, and episode then we got this well.
1: episode. Hopefully, it'll be an annual occurrence as well. So. All right, great. Thanks for the plug. I forgot about that, Chris. All right, thanks to everybody, all your listeners, and uh, we'll look forward to closing out 2014 here very soon and look forward to a new year of Foot Candle Films in 2015. Take care. Chris forgot the catchphrase. Go for it. What's the catchphrase? See you in the ticket line. There we go.
0: Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpeltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv discover other network shows, and give us feedback on what you just heard.